and verses 1 to 13. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. The man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as being sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you, who have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall to sin... I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Keep your Bibles open and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have spoken to us uh, through your word and we thank you for the opportunity we have now uh, to hear from that. Uh, to look at your word deeper. Uh, please help us to see as you as you want us to, Lord. Uh, please continue to make us more and more like your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, before becoming Christians, my younger brother and I used to be pretty obsessed with cricket. Uh, we, we lived it, we breathed it, and most days would involve playing or, or training in some way. Uh, we're slightly less obsessed these days because around uh, 2009 uh, we both became Christians and at that point we had to think pretty hard individually about whether we should keep playing cricket uh, and and particularly keep playing on Sundays which was often when cricket seemed to be scheduled. Now surprisingly the the Bible doesn't talk about when you should or shouldn't play cricket and uh, with our freedom we actually landed in, in quite different positions Uh, I was attending an evening service at the time, so it didn't actually stop me from meeting with God's people, and I I decided to keep playing if there there were games on a Sunday. But my brother decided that he wouldn't play. Uh, His church was in the mornings, and I remember him telling me he felt he should be spending that time with his church family. We both had freedom in Christ, but expressed that freedom in, in very different ways. 
Uh, now imagine a, a, a hypothetical situation for a moment. So this is hypothetical. Uh, one week, my team makes it into the final, but we're shorter player. And I know that my brother could fill the role. And so I ask him to play. Even though I know what his convictions are, I figure it's a one-off. And more importantly, we have freedom. You can, we can do whatever we want. Uh, we're not bound by rules that we make up. And so without hesitation, I try and convince my brother to fill in, to play. Uh, imagine what my, what my brother would be thinking in that situation. On, on one hand, he'd see that this was very important to me and, and he'd want to help and do as his older brother tells him. But on the other hand, he'd feel as if he were going against his conscience and, and doing the wrong thing. What is the right thing to do in that situation? Or a bigger question, uh, how should Christians use their freedom when they, when they seem to be at odds, when, when one Christian's freedom seems to be at odds with another? Uh, it's a question that comes to mind as we come to today's passage. The, th the church in Corinth is wrestling with how they should use their freedom. Over the last couple of months, as we've gone through this letter, we, we've come across a church with numerous troubles. It's a church that was lacking in maturity. And as the Apostle Paul writes, he is eager for this church to kind of grow up, to be more like Jesus. He's already addressed a number of things in this letter, but chapter seven, uh, in chapter 7 he began responding uh, to a letter that the Corinthians had actually written to Paul concerning a number of different things they'd been uh, struggling to think, to think through. And in chapter 7, Paul responded to questions about marriage and singleness and sex. In chapter 8, he addresses their questions regarding freedom as Christians. And we know that Christians have been given a lot of freedom. God in his kindness has instructed us on a number of things, but he also gives us a lot of freedom within that. But the, Corin uh, the Corinthians, much like us, uh, need to work out how to use that freedom. Now the issue in Corinth, the presenting issue, relates to food that has been sacrificed to idols. And you get the gist of it as you look at verse 10. Should a Christian be eating in an idol's temple? Uh, this is a question that perhaps sounds worse to us than it may have been back then because it seems that idol temples were everywhere in Corinth. And it was quite common to, to go and have a meal in these settings. Uh, some people suggest it was the equivalent of going out to a restaurant with a, with a group of friends or with your family. Now there are two groups in particular who we come across in this passage. There are those who know that they have freedom to eat in an idol's temple. They have this knowledge and the words, uh, and the words know or, or knowledge come up seven times in these first three verses, which, which shows us that it's important what Paul's saying about it. But we also come across a, a group who Paul describes multiple times as having a weak conscience. And the questions that have been asked relate to these two groups, as we'll see. Because the freedom of one group seems to impose on the conscience of the other. And so the church wants to know who is right. How should they use their freedom? And Paul in this passage gives three principles that the Corinthians should remember that will help them as they think about their freedom. And as we go through the passage, we'll come to see that these principles are very helpful for us to remember when we think about how we might use our freedom that God has given us. 
Uh, the first principle to remember is that love is greater than knowledge. This is verses 1 to 3. And in verse 1, as we've come to expect in this letter, Paul seems to be quoting the Corinthians here. They say, we know that we all possess knowledge. Remember that this was a, a church who had quite a high view of themselves. In earlier chapters, we heard how they boasted about how wise they were, how intellectually superior they were to most. And here, once again, they draw attention to how much knowledge they have. So Paul, before he even addresses the issue itself, decides to address their lack of understanding when it comes to knowledge. He says, knowledge puffs up. Uh, you might have heard it said that knowledge is power. Uh, it's attributed to a man named Sir Francis Bacon, uh, which is a, a very fitting name given the end of today's passage. Uh, and, and this quote do, does a great job summarizing a lot of people's attitudes to knowledge. The more you know, uh, the more powerful you become. But from a Christian point of view, trying to gain knowledge for the sake of it is only going to puff up your ego. You may have come across Christians who from time to time, uh, time, to time seem so focused on, on being right. And they often do know a lot, more than most, but their knowledge always seems to be used to inflate their own ego. An opportunity to argue a point, and you can guarantee they'll be there, and they'll do it well. But what is often lacking in these people is love. This knowledge isn't being uh, gathered to kind of build up the people of God. It's used to build their own ego, and often to bring others down. See, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Uh, for some Christians, we can get our wires a bit crossed. We can think that God cares more about a, a big head than he does a big heart. He sure cares about what is in our heads, but how much more what is in our hearts? And wasn't, wasn't that one of the, the key issues that Jesus confronted uh, in the religious leaders when he began his ministry? They cared so much about what they knew, what they knew knowing the right thing, yet when it came to putting what they knew in, uh, about God into practice, they were found wanting. See, knowledge can very quickly lead to pride if it is not grounded in love. Now, there, there is something satisfying about knowing something that others don't. Uh, I was hoping to experience that feeling last night at the quiz. Uh, as it turns out, I was often the one in the group who didn't know the answer. Uh, we, we like knowing things that others don't. But we must remember that love builds up. Love helps us to use knowledge to build others up rather than build ourselves up. Love is focused on others. Uh, Paul goes on in verse 2. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. His point here, just as people who are truly knowledgeable in life will often realize that there is so much that they don't know, so also people who think they are knowledgeable at times don't realize how much they don't know. Case in point, some of the Corinthians. Overestimating the value of of their knowledge. Now, when we get to verse 3, uh, I'm not sure about you, but I almost expect Paul to say, The man who loves God is the one who has true knowledge. That would make sense to me, but what Paul says is, The man who loves God is known by God. God knows those who love him, and being known by God is important. Uh, we see that elsewhere in the Bible, uh, 2 Timothy 19. The Lord knows those who are his. Uh, in contrast, Matthew 27, 
Remember what God will say to those who reject his ways and do evil. He says, I never knew you. Now the other thing to notice, a love for God is, is more important than knowledge of God. A love for God is more important than knowledge of God. And, th- and there is a big difference. Knowing God is there is, is very different to loving God. And it, it looks very different in terms of how it plays out in a person's life. A love for God will show itself in a love for his people, a desire to build them up. So that's where Paul starts as he shows them how to use their freedom by telling them that love is greater than knowledge. Uh, but we should be careful here because some will try, try and take that principle too far. Knowledge puffs up, so don't waste your time learning. Well, Paul doesn't go that far. And in, in his second point, in verses 4 to 8, he helps us see that knowledge is important in the Christian life. Uh, verse 4, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. This verse shows us that when it comes to understanding the truth, knowledge can actually be a good thing. Knowledge helps us to see what is objectively true. Firstly, Paul knows that idols are nothing in the world. There is only one God. That means all of these so-called gods in the temples of Corinth are made up. And this knowledge would extend to the way Paul would understand all these so-called gods in the world. Every religion outside of Christianity Every one of their gods is man-made, fiction, which is why he says they are nothing. There is only one God. Paul also knows there are many out there who claim to be gods and lords. But for the Christian, verse 6, all things come from God and all things come through Jesus. Paul agrees with the Corinthians on this. But in verse 7 we learn that not everyone has this knowledge. Some people are, so, uh, are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. For some of the Christians in Corinth, they, they've grown used to associating the food at the temples with the idols. And I'm sure many of us know how, how strong associations uh, that we make uh, between things can be. We hear a song and it reminds us of a particular time in life, maybe a holiday or or maybe it reminds us of a particular job we've had or a person. Uh, There are certain smells and tastes that will bring back memories for us, certain words that will take our mind to situations from our past. And some of these things, uh, with some of these things, these associations just kind of happen. We can't help it, even if it's a, a silly connection that we're making. Now, as Paul has told us, there are some brothers and sisters with a a weaker conscience, when they see the meat, perhaps when they smell it, it reminds them of a past life. Uh, Maybe a time when they themselves were caught up in idol worship and and made sacrifices to idols. And maybe now, if they go to an idol temple to eat, they still think of it as an idol's temple. They can't think of it as just food. They struggle to get rid of that imagery in their minds. And if they, go ahead, if they go ahead and eat at the temple, their conscience is defiled. See, in their minds, they've, run, they've done the wrong thing. Never mind the truth of verse 8, which says, But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. 
For some, the association with idolatry is, is too strong. Now, verse 8 gives us some knowledge about how we should think of food. It doesn't change our relationship to God, and of course, it's good for us to know that. But we shouldn't use this knowledge, or, or any knowledge, against those with a weak conscience. And this leads to the third and final point that Paul makes. Use your freedom to love others. It's true that when, when it comes to eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols in a temple of an idol, uh, the Corinthians are free to eat. That's what, that's what God's word tells us here. But verse 9, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your, exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. When you're enjoying the freedom that your knowledge brings, be mindful of your brothers and sisters, particularly those with a weak conscience. Because verse 10, when a brother or sister with a weak conscience sees you eating in an idol's temple, they might end up doing it as well, even though they really think they shouldn't be eating there. Verse 11, this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And by eating, they end up going against their own conscience. And to go against your own conscience as uh, on matters where there is freedom is actually to sin, which is why Paul declares in verse 13, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Never again. Surely Paul didn't really mean that. Of course he did. Uh, you, would have, you would have noticed that in this passage, both groups can end up singing, uh, sinning, that the knowledgeable and the weak. Uh, we know that in general we all sin when we go against the word of God, but uh, in situations like this where, where the word of God is, is, is uh, not as clear or, or not as uh, specific, uh, we can actually end up sinning by going against our own conscience. And it's wrong to do that, says Paul. Those with a weak conscience need to be aware of that. But the other way we can end up sinning is by wounding the conscience of a brother or sister, as Paul says in verse 12, causing them to go against their conscience and thereby causing them to sin. So being so tied to our freedom that we lead a fellow believer to sin and those who have knowledge of their freedom need to be aware of that. As you apply your freedom to, uh, to different situations, be careful that you're not causing others to sin. And notice the language he uses. The weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. They are ruined. Their faith is destroyed completely. And that is what can happen when you have knowledge but not love. It's as if those with knowledge were, were pressuring uh, the weak to come round to their way of thinking. When it comes to freedom as Christians, we should think about the impact that any decision we make may have on others. It's very easy to flaunt our freedom, to wear it as some sort of badge of honour, much like the Corinthians were doing, and to use our freedom uh, for evil rather than good. Philippians 2 reminds us not only to, to look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And we're called to imitate Christ in this way. Christ, the one who, who made himself nothing and served us, that's what the, the love of Christ looks like. And, and that's the type of sacrificial love we're now called to have for one another. And what does this look like uh, practically for us? How do we use our knowledge in a loving way? 
Well, I think it's pretty clear it's, it's tricky to do, and particularly for, for a church that loves the Bible, because we want to be in God's Word regularly. Uh, and at St. Stephen's, much of what we do on a Sunday and, and during the week is to help us grow in our knowledge of God, our knowledge of His world and His plans for us. But are we also growing in our love and concern for our brother or sister who thinks differently to us and has a weak conscience? Now think of the Christian who is very particular about resting on Sundays. They, they take it very seriously. And even though there is freedom, they choose not to do any work on a Sunday. You might be happy doing whatever on a Sunday, being, but being loving to them means not parading that around, being mindful of them, not asking them to come and help you with a job on a Sunday, even though you know they could say no, because it's not loving to even put, that in that, put them in that situation. Uh, maybe you know a Christian who, who used to drink a lot, uh, party a lot, but since coming to faith, they've changed. They've actually sworn off kind of going to pubs uh, because they know the temptation that they will feel to fall back into that old way of life. Being loving to them might mean not having your, your birthday dinner at a pub because you know they will really struggle over whether or not to go. Or maybe you have a Christian friend who is particularly careful about what they watch. And so when you invite a group round for a movie, you realise you need to be thoughtful about what you do watch so that you don't lead them back into sin. And in all of these examples, you can see how the person with the, the weaker conscience might be emboldened to go against their conscience and to sin and how we might end up sinning if we aren't thoughtful. Now I'm sure you've realised that it's not easy to use our freedom to love others. This kind of love won't happen unless we know one another. Uh, I'd hate to think how many different ways I might have caused a, a brother or sister to stumble without even being aware of their conscience on certain things. And so we need to, to take time to get to know one another. It's only as we, we get to know each other more that we can take these opportunities to use our freedom to love one another. God has given us freedom in Christ. We have freedom over the career choices we make. We have freedom over how we'll spend our money. Uh, the books we read, the songs we listen to. We have freedom over how we'll invest in our friendships. We have freedom over how we do family life, how we raise our children, uh, freedom over their schooling. How are you using your freedom? Are you using it to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ? Paul was willing to do that, even to the point of giving up meat, which is no small sacrifice. How will we use our freedom? Now, we've seen that knowledge is good, but love is greater. Let us use our freedom to love one another, and particularly when our freedom seems to be at odds with those who have a weaker conscience than us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the freedom that we do have in Christ. And we thank you for uh, the wisdom that we find in your word. Uh, but we also realise there are, there are many areas of life uh, where uh, your word doesn't speak specifically about how we should respond. And so we do pray that you would give us great wisdom. Father, help us to see that uh, knowledge, while being good, uh, is not as great as love. And, and help us to pursue love, particularly help us to be selfless in the way we use our freedom. 
Help us to seek to, to serve one another uh, and to do what's, what's best uh, for those around us in the same way that uh, Christ has done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.